Goldthorpe is number one. A kickstart for Australia. Gold in a world record. Now it's Donovan Bailey trying to pick up runners. Donovan Bailey is putting on the third. A perfect score, 10.0 for Nancy Tavanici, a perfect score. The first time I've never seen anyone get a So in over 100 years, nobody's won as many medals at the Olympic Games in any sport than this great champion, Michael Phelps. Usain Bolt, sprinting ahead, winning by daylight and setting a world record, 9.68. The wind is okay. How easy was that? It is Off The Podium, an Olympics podcast coming to you today for a very, very special interview as we continue our interview series, filling in the gap for the time that should have been Tokyo 2020. We have an Olympic gold medalist with us today, a legend of the sport of figure skating, Canadian Jamie Saleh. Of course, many people would remember the figure skating controversy from the 2002 Salt Lake City Winter Olympics together with her partner, David Peltier. There was a lot of controversy around a certain judge and a whole other stuff that I'm sure you're very much familiar with. We are not even going to go into that in this introduction because you don't want to hear me talk. You want to hear Jamie talk. You're also going to hear Colin on this one. Colin joined me for this interview as well. He's just not in the introduction here with me right now. So without further ado, here is our chat with Olympic gold medalist Jamie Saleh. We are continuing on our interview series here on Off the Podium. Of course, we are filling in the gap when we're meant to be covering the Olympic Games right now, but sadly no Olympics, which means we get the opportunity to speak to some Olympians past and present from all around the world, mainly Canada and Australia, and winter and summer as well. We, we're meant to be covering the Summer Games, but bugger the Summer Games, who cares about them? Because the Winter Games are more important. And we are so honoured today to be able to welcome our next guest to the program, an Olympic gold medalist from the 2002 Salt Lake Winter Olympics, an esteemed career. And I have to say, as an Australian, I am a mad fan of this person. Like, I, I have some fun stories to tell about that whole experience watching the Games in Salt Lake City. And I'm also honoured that I'm not the only one on this episode to be doing this interview. Colin is with me here too, and I'll, I'll introduce him in just a second. But please welcome to Off the Podium, the one, the only, Miss Jamie Saleh. Jamie, first of all, welcome to Off the Podium. It's a massive pleasure to have you on the show today. Thank you for having me. It's such a thrill, such a pleasure. And Colin, it's a pleasure to have you as well. Can I just say that? Welcome, Colin. Oh, I, I'm always thrilled to be here as well. <laughs> yes, yes, you are a co-host on this program, uh, but, you know, uh, <laughs> you, you can be a guest. You can be Jamie's uh, partner today when it comes to da- dancing. So I'm going to get you both to... Uh, you know. Yes. And he's wearing the right T-shirt. I am, yeah. <laughs> yes. Colin has I worried converted. about this, but I wear the flames today. <laughs> <laughs> he has converted. I love it. But it's... It's fascinating, actually, to kind of uh, to chat to you about this, Jamie, because, I mean, it's been 18 years. I can't believe it's been 18 years since Salt Lake City. I'm sure you're probably in the same boat. I mean, has it really been that long? I know. I still feel like I'm 24 some days. I mean, I acted anyway. Um, <laughs> whatever that means. I just, uh, I like to uh, stay youthful. I, it's hard to believe um, because it feels so, um, especially when the Olympics come around, whether it is summer or winter, it feels still very fresh. Um, as much as I do forget little details uh, throughout the, the games and our experience, 
um, you know, we relive so many moments ta- doing interviews like this and talking about the stories and, and the medal ceremony and all the different things that we had done in that time. So it's, uh, it's really hard to believe. Um, lots has ha- happened in, the, in those 18 years. I mean, my, my partner, David and I, we toured for 10 years with Stars on Ice and we ended up getting married and having a son. And then we ended up getting divorced and I remarried and I had another child. And yeah, it's lots of lots has happened. It's kind of, of you have all that life going into becoming an Olympian, then you kind of have all that life sort of afterwards because you know everyone who follows the Olympics and follows athletes like yourself, you know, we all are very aware of your your achievements going into a games and coming out of a games. It's sort of post that career that obviously you know uh, a lot of people maybe aren't completely familiar with but what what drew you into figure skating kind of what what led you into putting on the skates for the very first time I mean as a Canadian you're kind of born with skates on your feet aren't you but uh, I mean what was it that drew you to the figure skating path well that's uh, a good question I I started skating because my dad played hockey and my brother was into hockey and he was older than me and so I always want to do what my older brother did and we had these outdoor arenas um, in all the communities in Red Deer growing up and so my mom and dad got me a pair of little skates and I would, you know, just putts around on the ice. And you could, some of the photos are hilarious because you can see the grass coming through the, the, <laughs> the ice. It's melting, but we didn't care. We were just having fun out there. And then my neighbor actually um, joined the uh, Learn to Skate program in Red Deer. And I remember telling my mom that I wanted to, to do that with her. And it was just, it was really simple for me. It wasn't anything like I was crazy passionate about it but I just wanted to be with my friend at that age so I was five and then um, I was in that program which is the beginner the foundational program of skating for two years I passed all my badges but I was also in gymnastics at the same time and they both uh, said that I was ready for um, the next step which was full-time so I had to choose which sport I wanted to do and uh, my mom just said we were at the gym and I said no I want to skate and she said, well, we can go home and talk about this if you want. And you can, you know, spend some time thinking about it. And uh, I said, no, I just want to skate. And so at seven years old, I decided that that was going to be my, my career. The thing I find interesting with getting into competitive skating is that I don't even think I have a full comprehension on all the differences. You know, obviously there's individual programs, there's pair skating, and then there's ice dancing. Now, how, how do you actually land in just one of those levels there? Uh, do you start out individually and then a coach just says, you know, I think we should pair you up ice dancing or pair skating? Yes, that's exactly how it goes. So everybody starts out, starts out in skating as a single skater. And you go through when I was skating. Oof, so this is dating me because I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> we had figures. And um, for those of us that are, I can't remember when figures left, but um, I'm 43. So it was a long time ago already that they took figures out of figure skating. But when I was growing up, we had to do figures, free skate and ice dance. And it was all three disciplines that you had to do a little bit of in each. So um, it was the age, I was about 11, 12 years old when um, I was told that I had really nice knees. Like I, my knee bend was really good <laughs> and I'm like, whatever that means, right? And so we're going to put you in ice dance. And I, that was the first discussion that, that I heard was that I was going to be paired up in ice dance. And the next thing I knew, I was trying out in pairs. So I don't know 
what happened in, in between those two uh, conversations, but I'm really glad that it was pairs because <laughs> I didn't love dancing. I, I, I mean, I, I did well. Um, I got most of my, my dances completed, but I much preferred to be, you know, flying around the ice and being thrown and lifted. And um, that was definitely the, the discipline that I enjoyed the most, even more than single skating. I, I loved having a partner and, and doing, um, yeah, just doing all the tricks with, with somebody. It was so much more fun for me. Because you, you actually, your first Olympics was 94 uh, that you, mm-hmm. you competed in um, with, with a different partner. It wasn't, it wasn't David. So, I mean, what was that? Was that always a goal, obviously, as a figure skater, first of all, to get to the Olympics? And, and what did you take out of your, your very first Olympic experience? You didn't medal, but, I mean, I'm sure there was still a lot of experience that you kind of came away with that. Oh, I was 16 years old at my first Olympics. I was Oksana Bayul and I, who won the ladies event. We were the youngest Olympians there in Lillehammer. Um, and I was like, I just felt like such a baby. And I, I had just big eyes and I had no pressure because we were the third Canadian team to be there. As Canadians, you know, we often are just always so happy to be, be there, right? We hear athletes say that a lot. I'm just happy to be here. That was my case that year. Um, but what I realized at that Olympics was that I really want to go back and I really want to be on the podium. I want to win. I want to have that gold medal that I just watched somebody win. And um, that was really eye-opening for me to, uh, to experience. And that was, the, that was the Olympics where the Nancy Tanya um, battle mm-hmm. was going on. So there was a lot of drama around that situation. I remember being in the dressing room after the ladies practice. And I mean, there was media everywhere. I couldn't even imagine them practicing because they had like 500 cameras clicking the whole practice, but they came in the dressing room and I just remember sitting there going, I cannot believe I'm witnessing this because it was kind of like a movie. And then, um, you know, Nancy had like five people around her and Tanya had nobody, but she was super friendly and she was just chatting with me and about pairs and what I was doing. And anyway, it was really kind of, surreal for me um and i was just i was there also competing against my idols um gordieva and grinkov and all these amazing pair skaters and i i I really was just soaking it in that i was i was a competitor in this event with all these amazing pair teams not so much a question, but just a comment I got to pass along. Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, at least at the time we're recording this, uh, I interviewed John Montgomery, who, of course, now is more well-known as the host of Amazing Race Canada. And we always ask people, like, you know, how did you get into the sport? Did you always want to be an Olympian? I love hearing that you said, you know, oh, I saw these other athletes and I really love this experience because John was the first person, at least that I've interviewed, that said, I just wanted to be an Olympian. I didn't care what. And he specifically mentioned you and David in Salt Lake City saying, I saw that and I'm like, I want to be this. So you helped inspire John Montgomery to be an Olympian. And he literally just said, I don't care what the sport is. I'm going to be there. Well, that I, I would say that that doesn't happen very often. So that is very impressive for him. He's a really cool guy. Mm-hmm. It's it's crazy to think that you were kind of a front row seat uh, in many ways for the, the whole Tonya Nancy situation. And then, I mean, your next Olympics, the next big skating scandal, you were kind of involved in. So it's kind of, it's, it's, <laughs> it's unique to think that you had no clue as a 16-year-old then that, hey, you know, these cameras are going to be pointed at me in eight years' time constantly like this. <laughs> 
I, it's, I know who would have, who would have thought. And there's been so many other examples and stories of this where, you know, if you look back at it now, you're like, Oh my gosh, I knew then. Um, but I, I of course wouldn't change anything. I, I think even my experience at the Olympics, um, as much as everybody's like, you were robbed and you know, you guys should have won this and or won the gold. And I, I feel that everything worked out the way it was supposed to. And David and I, you know, as we, from the very beginning, after we skated, we both just said that, um, you know what, we came here to do one, jo- one thing, one job and that, and we did that. So let's be proud. Let's keep our heads high and let's take the high road and all this. Cause this is going to become an absolute shit show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and you know what? It, it, it played in our favor and, and people were really embracing us as Canadians and the Americans really adopted us as their own and were having us on all the talk shows and the covers of magazines and we became household names. And so, you know, very quickly we found ourselves just living the high life, these two small town Canadian kids. And, you know, Jay Leno's talking about us and having us on a show, uh, Rosie O'Donnell and Larry King and, well, there's a good story in there too. Um, David, we were on Larry King Live, and David, he asked us, how is it in the dressing room with the Russians? And I'm like, oh, it's fine. But, you know, David said, well, Anton and I, we sometimes, we just sit around, we talk about the birds and the bees. And I look at Dave, and I'm like, you do? And he, so you can hear Larry laughing in the background, and I'm kind of giggling, and Dave's like, wait a second, because he's French-Canadian. And he's like, I don't get what you guys are laughing at. And I said, Dave, the birds and the bees, like, do you know what that means? He's like, yeah chatting we're like yeah <laughs> do we need to start at the beginning here <laughs> oh it was so funny and and it was just so we had so much fun so i'm in so, in many ways and in most ways we're so grateful and so appreciative of the love and support that we received and i, I do want to share another story with uh your listeners that is so important for me um one of the best things that also happened out of this whole experience was um, in the six days between us getting our silver and, our, and a gold medal, um, there was a group from Calgary that um, decided that it wasn't okay for us to have a silver medal. And nobody knew we were going to get a gold medal anyway, but they just said, this is not okay. And so they collected gold from the citizens of Canada to, um, to make us our own gold medals. So when David and I actually got home from Salt Lake, um, they came to our homecoming show, this group, and they said, we have this beautiful thing to present you. And we were just very overwhelmed. So we were like, okay, we'll do it during intermission. Um, but then when we saw what they, they gave us this box and I opened it up, I was just, just completely overwhelmed with um, a, a lot of emotion. It was very, um, it just hit me like a tidal wave uh, because I couldn't believe that I was looking at this beautiful gold medal that these people had made us from gold jewelry from the citizens of Canada. Um, and inscribed on the back is this beautiful message in English and French of just their, you know, Canadian pride and how we made everybody um, uh, just proud to be Canadian. And um, it was just, oh, I, I can't remember exactly what it says, but it was very sentimental. And I always just say it just exemplifies how Canadians are and how, you know, we're very quietly patriotic, but we're very proud people. Um, and very loving people like I, this doesn't happen anywhere else you would never see this in any other country um so we have two gold medals <laughs> well i saw you share that on social media recently actually yeah. and i was going to bring that up and a, a great little story i mean i guess do you kind of put that pride of pride of place with the actual olympic gold medal to kind of go alongside it 
Well, my, my Olympic medal from Salt Lake is, I have a little display in our bar area in the basement. Um, it's kind of cool. My mom actually took the flowers that we got from Salt Lake and she dried them for me. The bouquet wow. that we got. Nice. So I've got the bouquet that's dried with the medal and a couple little plaques that I got from Salt Lake. And I always collected cowbells. So I have cowbells from uh, Lilyhammer and then Salt Lake. So I have kind of a little Olympic display. Um, and then the other one, obviously, because it's so much more sentimental and, and uh, special to me, I have it uh, hiding, I guess, if you will. It's uh, it's in a special place. <laughs> I don't want anybody to, to be touching it or looking at it. I mean, I show people, but it's uh, it's solid gold. Wow. It's, it's incredible. More gold than the Olympic gold. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Olympic gold medals are plated, right? So yeah. um, if, if you pass them around, and I know that a lot of Olympians have, have experienced that, if you pass them around, you do school talks and you, or anything, you just have people handling it. Apparently, um, the the color of the metal wears off, like whether it's gold or bronze. Yeah, because they're, they're just metal underneath, right? So eventually mine could even turn a little silver. No. We don't want it to turn silver. No, on that one back. Yeah, no. you already you already dealt with that. Yeah, well, and we had to give the silver medals back, which we thought was really funny because they were ours. You know, they had our names on them. <laughs> they were ours, but they said, "Nope, you have. We're coming to collect your silver medals at the dorm before you guys go and have your gold medal ceremony." And we're like, "Who's gonna keep these?" Like, mm. we just anyway. So we sent a letter um, to the uh, International Skiing Union just to ask politely if after the Olympics when things had kind of settled down, if we could get these medals just because they're ours, um, you know, they're no, nobody else is getting the silver medal. So can we maybe have them? And we didn't want to sell them. We just wanted them for our own keepsake. Mm -hmm. And they basically said, beat it. You know, this is, <laughs> you got your gold medal. So, you know, basically wow. it wasn't very polite and we were just kind of like, wow. Okay. So sitting on someone's mantle to yeah. show off. <laughs> All right. Anyway. But I love, I love hearing that you, you got that, uh, the Canadian made gold as well, but you said it took like six days. And I think what I remember from Salt Lake, and it was guaranteed everywhere outside of Canada, like you said, America, everywhere else, this was just media storm, but this was pre-social media and everything. So, um, Obviously, I, I, you weren't here at the time, but Canada, looking back on the last two scandals that we were involved in, you know, there was Ben Johnson, 88. There was Ross Rebliati, a 98. So it, I think it, this was almost like something Canada needed. You know, it's like, OK, there's a scandal, but, you know, we're in the right. We'll come out on the right side of this. Like, did you have any perception in that six days prior that this is something that the country was rallying behind you to? Oh, we knew. I mean, we knew that. Um, I mean, because we were in the U.S., we were hearing it and we were seeing it and feeling it a lot more. It was uh, it was loud, um, but we were getting emails and messages from all kinds of Canadians, from our um, oh, from every premier and like you name it, um, other celebrities, other athletes. Um, we had Wayne Gretzky was there, and all uh, the hockey team. They all gave us. Uh, lots of attention and they give us a jersey. We had such an incredible um, six days. And even after we got our gold medal, it continued to keep going with uh, so many different surprises and um, really cool experiences. I mean, we just couldn't even imagine. We know that these things wouldn't have happened if we won the gold outright, right? So mm -hmm. um, in hindsight, it, I mean, it really, it worked out for us. It was, it was really special. It was, um, an Olympics that many people, as you guys say, will not forget. 
Um, you know, you mentioned 2002 figure skating scandal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, you know, it's, it's us. And it's like you said, we turned it into positive, a positive thing. And, you know, it definitely changed our sport for the better. They, they found a way to come up with a better judging system, which is great. And, um, I mean, I hate that it, I don't like that it's, uh, it tarnished our sport because there are so many sports that have problems with whether it's drugs or it's refereeing or whatever it's, it's bias. You know, you've got referees can say in any sport, really anybody that's judging a refereeing, it's, it's their, their opinion. You know, you take football, you take, um, soccer and they can make any calls and you can be you don't have to agree with it so track and field you've got drugs you know every sport has their thing so um figure skating has always been a beautiful sport and uh i think that we just have to continue to see it for what it is and um yeah just want to take you back slightly before the olympics and kind of when you got the chance to partner up with with David for the first time. I believe you kind of had a bit of a trial with him sort of uh, 96 and then you eventually partnered up fully with him in in about 98. Was there something with David that just kind of made you two click? Was it it coaching? I mean, what was it that you think kind of drew you two together and and enabled you to become so successful? We had an amazing tryout in 2006. Um, it was really, really good. And I remember being in Montreal and just, I was a little, um, I felt a little out of my element there because um, I could tell that I, I was on territory that I wasn't really for other girls necessarily welcome. Um, <laughs> like David was the one that everyone wanted to skate with. And so when I got there, I could feel the, there were a lot of eyes on me and trying to intimidate me. And I, but the tryout, nevertheless was really good and um I just remember leaving there feeling like this is going to be amazing and then I didn't hear from him and uh and then finally I got in touch with him and I guess he had been advised not to skate with me and um for whatever reason and that it doesn't it doesn't matter now of course but I remember just being so heartbroken because he was supposed to come in 96 um I tried out with him I believe it was January or February and he was going to come in March during the world championships in Edmonton to skate with me again. And uh, so then he wasn't coming. So I was devastated. I remember at that point, just feeling like my life was, my skating life anyway, was over. And um, this is just not gonna be good. Cause I didn't enjoy going back to singles. And I knew David was the one to skate with. Like I, there was nobody, I had a couple other tryouts and they were good, but David was the best. And so I was very discouraged and felt like, I don't know how this is gonna play out. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I hung in there and another, I remember um, I missed a couple nationals and then finally I made it to in nationals in 98. I just needed to be seen. And so I saw him there and I said, uh, I knew he wasn't happy. I knew I could tell that he wasn't in a great place with his partner. And um, I'd heard rumors that he was going to quit. So I ran up to him. I'm like, Dave, you can't quit. You cannot quit. And I said, please like, and he's like, no, I'm not quitting. I don't know why everybody's saying that. And I said, well, can we please, try out again, like make a go at this. And so long story short, we ended up doing another tryout, which really wasn't a tryout. It was more of just, you come to Edmonton and let's just like start fresh. We uh, hired a new coach. Uh, so I ended up moving to Montreal in, um, in March that year in 98, um, two months after nationals and, uh, and everything began the end of March. 
there's a big gap there. Um, so you were in Lillehammer and then you two eventually would, you know, win gold in Salt Lake City. Um, were there any aspirations to, to get in for Nagano, uh, either with him or another partner? Well, that's a good question. We actually, when we did the tryout in, um, it would have been, so the Olympics are in February. So he came to Edmonton and what we sat at the Glenora Club where I, where I trained in Edmonton and we sat upstairs in the lounge and we watched Elena and Anton compete in Nagano. And we, we, I just remember saying to him, like, I know we don't want to focus on, you know, that we, we could have been there, but we, I looked at him like, we could be there right now, <laughs> you know, competing against these two, but it wasn't meant to be, it really wasn't. And um, so everything works out the way it's supposed to. I do believe that, but I just, uh, you know, and who knows, maybe if we skated in 96 back where we did make a go of it and we were training in Montreal where he was, we would have been um, in not as a positive place as we were in 98 together. So I just know, again, looking back that everything really did work out for the best for us. When it comes to singles and, and pairs, I mean, the clear difference is pairs you have someone else to skate with, but when it comes to training and sort of getting yourself into a place when it comes to competing, what are the key differences going into it as a competitor, as a single skater versus a pair skater? Um, oh, I've never been asked that before. The key differences. I think the, the part that is tricky is that you have to really embrace the fact that you're, you're different. David is very, a very different competitor than I am. We both wanted to go to win. We both are very driven. We're both very disciplined, but we have very different personalities. And um, you, you, learn, you have to learn to embrace each other's differences and use them as your strengths, which is really hard. Um, mostly because uh, in the beginning for us, he didn't understand me and I didn't understand him. Like when he would make a mistake, his way of dealing with it was to, to, to be angry and, you know, show that frustration in figure skating. He knows he had a hard time because our coach always say, you can't act like that. It's figure skating. He's like, yeah, in hockey, you can go and slam someone up against the board in football. You can, you know, tackle someone in figure skating. I have to be all proper. So he had a hard time with that. And then I would be the opposite. So if I made mistakes, I would almost like keep smiling and just nervously like, pretend like I didn't make a mistake because I didn't want anybody to think it was something that I did regularly. Like I would almost just laugh it off and he would look at me like, well, what, you don't even care. So we were very different in that way. So that was our hardest, um, our most difficult challenge to get through or to work through. Um, and I think it was really, um, where it got us actually, um, it was really, uh, hard for both of us was at the national championships, uh, pre-Olympics, um, I was very unfocused. I, you know, you know, you're going to the Olympics. We're going to the Olympics to win. So Canada is going to send you and it wouldn't look very good if they sent you in, in second place. So I figured in my mind, you know, we're going to win. And I just wasn't focused. And I went out and I made a few mistakes and we got, as we were skating off the ice, I went to grab David's hand. Cause I was so like, that wasn't good, but I just need your hand right now. And he just pulled his hand away from me. And I was like, Oh my God, like this, this feels terrible. I feel like I'm all alone out here. And so it was soon after we left the kiss and cry area that our coach and our support team grabbed both of us and separated us and said, that's not going to work. Like you, you both need to pull this together. And David, she needs your support right now. As much as I wasn't focused, I still felt terrible. And it's like pre-Olympic skates. You're thinking, well, now I just skated like crap. Am I going to go to the Olympics and do the same thing? Right? Like you, there's all of this psyche stuff that plays 
um, in your head about what you just did out there. So um, it, he ended up, you know, he ended up having to make a, an apology at the uh, press conference, which was very um, touching for me because he didn't, he didn't have to do that, but he ended up saying, I just want to say, I'm sorry to my partner for <laughs> behaving that way. So from that moment on, we, we thought, you know what, let's pull this together and let's, let's lift each other up and um, let's use our, our differences as our strengths and let's go to the Olympics and let's win. I think the thing that for me that's most interesting about figure skating, and you're, I, from my memory, memory at least, you're the first one we've talked to, is that there really is a professional circuit after this, whereas with most sports, you know, the Olympics are amateur sports, whereas you yeah. can transition into professional. And I guess along with that, being in pairs skating, the decision kind of has to be made on both of your parts when you're ready to step away from potentially going out for Turin or if you want to, you know, uh, move into the professional circuit. You know, how did you guys decide upon that? Or was it something where one of you brought it up and then you just sort of discussed it? No, we, we knew right away after the Olympics that um, we were 24 and 26 and it just, from that point on, as you get older, it gets harder, as everybody knows. And so we figured this was the perfect time. We, we both, it wasn't even a, a much of a discussion. Um, we were asked right away if we wanted to join Stars on Ice. Um, and I think, you know, we took, a, we took a break because we felt really burned out after the Olympics. We had done so many amazing things and um, we had just signed a big deal with White Strip. So we had all these appearances and we ended up doing some shows through the fall and the winter, but then we joined Stars on Ice the year after. And we knew we were done with the amateur circuit. And uh, even though it was only a short four years, but we knew that with this title, um, Stars on Ice was going to sign us for a four-year deal along with the Russians. And we were just going to make a really great go at it. And so we did. It was so much fun. Um, we ended up touring for over 10 years. There were no French judges, I'm guessing, were invited. No, no. Yeah, of course, no. just clarify that. <laughs> just with the Olympics, you, you talk about kind of having that sort of doubt, I guess, in some ways after that that performance at the Nationals. How do you overcome that? How do you kind of focus, refocus the mind so that when you land in Salt Lake, you hit the ice for the first time, that you are in that zone that you are going, we are going to walk away from this event with a gold medal? Well, that story is uh, another good one. So we get home from nationals and we're a little distraught. You know, I'm flustered. I feel just, I'm beating myself up because I said, I just cannot believe that I let myself go like that at nationals. That was not the performance I wanted. And so we were trying to, because um, at that point I was really hard on myself with my jumps. And so my coach just said, Jamie, this is, you know, we're going to just pull back and we're not going to focus on these. We're going to go back to the single jumps. If we're not going to, I know that means nothing to a lot of listeners, but we're not going to focus on the double axle and the triple toe. We're just going to go back to the basics is what he said to me. Well, so that was fine for about two weeks. I started to get my confidence back and then, and then I got hit with a flu like so bad that um, I remember it was like a, a Monday morning. I, I couldn't get out of bed. I, my body was aching from head to toe. Um, you couldn't even touch me. I, I should have probably been in the hospital, but we, I saw my doctor and I got put on antibiotics. I was sick for the whole week leading up to, to leaving for the Olympics. And I remember getting on the ice, trying to skate on like a Friday and a Saturday. And I just, I could barely do one lap around the ice without being out of breath. So we knew that it just wasn't, wasn't looking very good. Um, so I believe it was like Sunday before we left where we just tried to do a few elements together 
And of course, you know, after I got through my antibiotics, every day I got a little bit stronger, but I was still really tired. Um, I'd never had a flu this bad. Like, I mean, wow. it, the time of it was just ridiculous. And so we left on an airplane from Edmonton to Calgary on Tuesday. And on Tuesday at that point, we were doing, starting to do like a run through, but we weren't really able to get through with all of the elements. We were just kind of skating it. And then, so we get to Calgary and we flew to Salt Lake City on Wednesday. And I just remember practicing every day there. And we really, our coach looked at us and said, guys, this isn't about perfection right now. This is about focusing on what you can do right now. And I remember thinking, well, shit, this is not at all what I thought my Olympic experience would be like coming here to win. Um, but he was right. And so what we did every day was we focused on, okay, so we're not doing, we're taking out this jump and this throw for this run through. That's okay. Cause normally we would do full run throughs and we would just want the judges to, that are watching to see us look strong and really good. Well, that wasn't the case. I was building my strength every day. So what can you do today? Let's focus on all the, the positives today. So, um, opening ceremonies were Friday. By Friday, I was feeling actually more confident and, and pretty darn good. Like at that point, I was I had my jumps back. Um, I remember the last I, like Thursday and Friday, I was really um, more. I was back to kind of where I was wanting to be. So Friday was the opening ceremonies, and Saturday was our short program. Wow! <laughs> so we went to the short program, and all I could do was literally just pray that you know every that my body has great muscle memory, and that my um, so Ben, you asked me about how did I mentally get through this? Well. It was visualization, key, very key and very necessary. I had done so much work before the Olympics, before nationals even, visualizing myself, skating a perfect, two perfect performances and visualizing even standing on the podium, seeing the Canadian flag coming down in the middle, um, getting the gold medal put around my neck, singing O Canada with everybody. Like I, I visualized all of it. And so at that moment, when I'm about to step on the ice for our short program, I just remember thinking like, you're ready. And it was constant positive re, um, affirmations and speaking things out loud. Like I remember um, some people pray. I used to talk to my grandpa who's passed. He passed when I was 10 years old and he was one of my biggest fans. So I would, I was talking to him always. I said, grandpa, I'm ready and I'm going to skate great tonight. And I, I just, I want you to come along with me tonight and give me that strength and see me through this. And so I was just constantly talking positively um, and then we nailed it. A short program was awesome. We just, you know, we fell in our ending position, which I thought was funny and Dave did not, but uh, <laughs> he was so mad at himself. I said, no, being in second is, the, is perfect, right? Like now we're the hunters. We don't want to be hunted. So um, I thought, I thought the setup was perfect. I, I just want to ask on that short program because I sort of in preparation of this uh, interview, went back and, and watched um, the performances and as somebody who is, you know, not into the technicalities of, of the sport as much as, say, you, of course, would be. How does that fall not affect the score? Like, I mean, as, as a casual observer of the sport, I'm thinking, well, you, you fell. That's going to have a huge deduction. But clearly that, was it because it was right at the end? It just didn't really count against the score? Yeah, How does that it's work? not an element. It's not an element. So you, we're not deducted at all. It's um, it's really just, it's an ending position. It's, it's not... Uh, it wasn't, we had in the short program, oh gosh, I'm forgetting how many, I think there was seven or nine elements that are mandatory. You have to complete them and they were done. <laughs> 
those were done. So it was literally just the ending. If you watch the ending, it's just us playing around and then boom, the ending position. It doesn't, it's not a deduction, but it was a reason for the judges to put a second, which I, I embraced. I thought that was awesome. I'm like, perfect. <laughs> right. I can uh, imagine with most athletes, you know, the, 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 the media and everything that's going to follow you after winning a gold medal is going to last a while. Um, you know, there, there have been athletes we've tried to get on here and it's like, oh, I'll talk to you in the fall or whatever, you know, and this is, you know, in the summer. But I can only imagine for you and David, you know, how much longer this would last. How long was this, this storm of media attention, would you say, before it eventually died down and you could just focus on relaxing, let alone getting back into the sport? That, I would say, was hmm, a good year. Wow. It, yeah. I mean, it wasn't like craziness. Um, I mean, there was a point where our agent actually let us just, he said they need to be at home and resting because I, I got really sick again after the Olympics. Um, but we did have all these um, appearances to do. We had uh, an, an agreement with white strip, pressed white strips. So we had 10 appearances to do, plus we had these shows to do. Um, but what David and I did differently than other athletes, because I remember my mom saying, you know, I've got so many people that are saying you and David could have, you know, be doing all these other things and we never see them or we never hear about them. I said, mom, we're skating. Like mm -hmm. we were, we were doing we were performing and that was our livelihood, right? Like we were getting paid to be professional skaters. So on top of the, the one uh, sponsorship deal that we, we'd signed with, um, we were busy skating. Um, you know, it's kind of like when we say today, we don't hear a certain artist on the radio, but meanwhile, they're, they're crazy busy touring and they're, they've yeah. got other people going, well, that's what we were doing. Um, but other people were like, well, they should be on billboards. They should be this. And they sh I said, yeah, should, 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 what it could have should, you know, but we can't be everywhere. Um, you know, it just wasn't, it wasn't what we wanted and it wasn't what we could do anyway. So, um, but I would say it lasted for a solid year. Um, you know, and then even every time there's an Olympics, uh, there's a lot of attention that comes, um, and I'm experiencing it right now. I mean, everybody, yeah. you know, the Olympics <laughs> be on and, and everybody wants to talk to David and I. So, um, but yeah, it was a little bit of a uh, media mayhem for about a year, I would say. With the the long program, again, as I said, I sort of rewatched it, and I mean, I I vividly remember watching it as a fifteen year old, and I'll talk about that shortly. But I mean, as everybody knows, you nailed it, you absolutely nailed it. And the thing that I, I love about watching the performance is kind of you mentioned before, figure skating is almost a you know it's a proper sport. It's kind of you know it's it's got that sort of grace and beauty about it. It's you know it's got that element. But as soon as that is finished as soon as you've you've nailed it and the look on both your face i mean david famously you know reaches down to the ice he kisses it he pumps it up even you've got this big broad grin on your face you're pumping up the crowd the crowd is on their feet like you are getting a standing ovation i mean before yeah. you enter the kiss and cry just that must that feeling then like must be incredible because you you it's not like a, a sprint you don't have that feeling of your cross line you know you've won the gold you've got the glory that's the closest you get there isn't it so i mean that then you, you're thinking we've done it david we're gold medalists that must just be incredible we did we actually uh because we knew that the russians had made at least one mistake um and they were the toughest to beat and so the door for us was open a little bit and we had just done skated the best performance that we could uh, that day. And I mean, I mean, people always go, it was perfect. It was, there's no perfect, but it was flawless. It was, um, we had executed all of our elements well. 
Um, so we knew when we were skating off that we had done, done it. Like we really thought that was it. And so when the first uh, set of marks come up, the technical merit, we knew they were higher than the Russians based on what we, because we skated right after them and we could hear their marks. You don't focus on, you know, you're not, you're not focused on the details of, oh, they got four, five, five, sevens or five eights and one five. No, you're not focused on the numbers per se, but you can hear 5.7, 5.8 and you go, okay, as soon as you hear five, seven or even a five, eight, you go, oh, you know, it's not, not perfect. So when we had five eights and five nines, we were like, we got it. And you can see our reaction. Like Dave's like, oh my God, we're going to win. And I'm looking, I'm, I'm like, oh, this is so exciting. And here we go. And then all of a sudden the second mark comes up, the artistic impression and the ordinal number two comes up and Dave just like fell to his lap. And I look at my coach and this is like something so ridiculous to say, because I know this doesn't happen, but I look at my coach and I'm like, it's going to switch, right? Like we're going to go back to first, right? And my coach is just like smiling, going, mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I remember leaving the po- the kiss and cry in, in just absolute shock. Like we, if I look back at our body language and how I felt in that moment, I was in, that was what shock feels like. Because I went from, we've, we've nailed it. We've got this. We're going to win. Oh my God, here are the marks we're winning to psych. Just kidding. No, you're not winning. You're second. Um, you know, now this, and all these things go through your mind, like this changes the entire rest of my life, you know, and, and not to play victim, but I, you know, I didn't want to sit in that too long, but I did. I was like, I can't believe they've taken this away from us. We, you know, it was our night and I played the whole thing through my head, like the judges, they did this to us. And, (laughs) um, I was, I was sad. I was really sad because immediately, um, after you skate, you go back to the, to all the television and, uh, broadcasters and everybody wants to talk to you and I'm just trying not to cry because I'm feeling sorry for myself and I can't believe what I've just witnessed and the event's still going on. The Chinese are skating and they're skating really well and I'm just like, this is so bizarre. Um, but then we went out for the medal ceremony and Dave just, he hugged me and he just said, Jane, like we did every, this is making me emotional right now. We did everything that we could do today and that's all, that's all we can focus on and that's all that we honestly truly came here to do. And we've worked our whole lives. We've been through so many challenges and ups and downs separately and then together. And we came here and we did it. He's like, let's keep our heads high. And he was strong. He was so strong. So we get off the podium and I'm emotional and we start skating around. And it was the French comment CBC commentators that came down and said to Dave, there's, there's a scandal. There's something going on. And I remember thinking, what? <laughs> what do you mean scandal and Dave's like there's something there was something going on there's a fix in so then it started to make sense of like oh okay that's why we're second <laughs> but then, and then and then as they would say you know shit hit the fan and, and and the French judge went back to the hotel and she felt guilty and so she spoke up but there was four other judges that had a second that were a part of that um collusion right so I go but they weren't even mentioned and I said the French judge if it wasn't for her we wouldn't have a gold medal. She was the one that came forward and said, this isn't right. So. And it's, it's interesting because it really did happen so fast. And, you know, my wife, she never really watched the Olympics until we were married, but I grew up watching every Olympics. 
And I can remember Salt Lake City seeing you guys and not knowing all the different technicalities behind, oh, you know, this shouldn't be happening. You watched the skaters' expressions and I could immediately tell just from the looks on your face when those scores got revealed, I'm like something's a little bit off here. And then you go up, like you say, to get the, the medals and I'm like, well, now they seem okay. But at that point, you know, people are already talking. Like how much, what was the time period in there? And then when you said earlier about how, you know, you can't just hit the boards or do this like you do in hockey, you know, yeah. obviously it must've been really difficult in order to maintain your composure, but even still, you know, there was enough emotion there that it was showing forth, even to me, not knowing the sport, sitting at home watching TV, I could tell something is a little bit off here. Well, the cameras were on us constantly. I mean, the Olympics are, there's nothing like it. And that's why a lot of athletes have a hard time with the Olympics because it's, it's, it's not just your world championships that just figure skating fans watch. It's the world watching you. And so there's not only like all the figure skating networks that are follow the networks that follow figure skating. There's always other cameras and you're like, you don't even know who these people are. So we had a ton of cameras in our face. And I, I just remember thinking at that point, I was really upset and I was angry. Again, that victimization state of just like, I can't believe they've done this to us. Um, I didn't really care. I was just standing there going like, I'm not being a poor sport. I didn't, I wasn't screaming and like, this isn't fair. But I was just really emotional. And I felt like, wow, like I, I, I don't understand what happened tonight. I mean, this is clearly, we know, and we knew at that point that the Russians had, he had missed his jump or stepped out of his jump and that they just were a little off that night. And so we thought, well, this is just craziness. Um, I don't know. This is clearly figure skating is just fixed. You know, like we, we were just like, oh, um, anyway, so we just kind of held each other and we just, we held each other's hand and he kept hugging me and our coach was so good. He was so positive. Um, in hindsight, our coach knew all along that this was all set up, but he didn't say anything, which is perfect because I think I would have been a real poor sport about knowing, I mean, why, why skate? If you know, you're going to be second, I came here to win, you know, in my mind, like after I heard that, I said, John, how did you not even talk to us about this and he's like well why would I why would I mention anything like we didn't know how this was going to play out anyway so we we're just gonna you guys came here to do one job and you did it and that's all that we're gonna focus on so the timeline was like we we skated third and then the uh Chinese were last and so it was soon after it was probably 15 minutes later they, they were getting the ice ready for the metal metal presentation ceremony and uh it happened pretty quickly I would say within from the minute we finished skating to we were standing on the podium, it had been 30 minutes. But there were interviews in there. Um, you know, we had team leaders coming down. We had all kinds of people wanting to talk to us. And uh, then it was just David and I standing on the podium, and I just thought, keep it together. But it's pretty hard, you know. You're you're super emotional um, either way, like skating amazing or skating not great. You're 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 on a high, and uh, there's a lot of emotions that rush through you. And I just remember standing there, like going. I'm not getting what I visualized, you know, I, I know I should be standing there right now. And I, I just, this, this, this kind of sucks. <laughs> and what was so crazy about that was that it wasn't just you too. Cause every once in a while you see a skater who's like, Oh, that, that doesn't seem right. It wasn't just you too. It wasn't just me as a viewer at home. It was everybody, you know, in 30 yeah. minutes, like they were talking about it and the commentators are talking about it. Like, 
it was so obvious ever, which I don't think I've ever experienced anything like that in watching the Olympics before and probably won't ever again, where it, it was just the entire world just looked at this and said, no, I don't think so. And not even experts, you know, everybody got it. Scott Hamilton was doing the NBC broadcast and he, I, I have his voice in my head. We're skating into our last throw and we had three elements after our throw. We had a lift, a, a death spiral and a spin, but we were going into our last throw. And he said out loud on television in America, um, if they land this, the gold is theirs. We nailed it. It was like a beautiful throw. And then, so he's cheering and like, you know, and everybody's cheering. And it's like, in my mind too, I remember saying to Dave, we did it. And he, Dave's like, we're not done. Like, cause he just <laughs> ending position of our start programs. He's like, we gotta stay focused, but the hard stuff was done and the lift and the, you know, but he's right. Like we had to stay focused because he could trip or lift, come down or whatever and mess up a desk file and mess up a spin, but we stayed focused. And our choreographer said, when you guys finish and Jamie, you back away from Dave, I want you to hold that for five seconds. And I want you to give the audience and all of us a moment to just really be with you. And so we did that. But I remember pushing away going, one, two, three, four, five. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, just so amazing. And we did it. I just, you know, thinking back to that moment too is just powerful because I just, it's amazing how, how much of your history and your past flashes back. Like you just think, I've worked my whole life for this moment and I can't believe I did it, you know? Um, of course, now as a 43-year-old, I look and I go, of course you did it. You worked your tail off and you did everything that you had to and some. I remember thinking like, I'm going to do way more than what my competitors are doing. Like, I want to know how they're good at certain things and I'm going to do I'm going to do more of them. I remember learning about Michael Jordan and how he, even before this, um, the last dance came out, I remember hearing how he would, if, if his competitors were, you know, shooting 100 hoops, he would shoot 300 hoops. Like, he just was always thinking bigger and more and how can I be the best? And so that's what we were doing. And everyone thought we were kind of crazy that Russians used to say to us on tour, like, why would you guys ever push yourselves like that and do full run throughs? And I'm like, well, because you guys were darn hard to beat. <laughs> we had to do so much more than you. And, and, uh, you know, we, we obviously really looked up to them as, as beautiful skaters. And I just remember thinking like, Oh, what are we going to do to beat these guys? Which in context, of course, too, I'm sure a lot of our Australian listeners are probably unaware of this. I'm sure plenty of the Canadian listeners are. But, of course, going into those Olympics, Canada hadn't won a gold medal in figure skating in 42 years. And the Russians had had absolutely wiped the floor in the pairs. So there was that added element to it as Mm -hmm. well. And, I mean, I think a lot of people remember Salt Lake as sort of the games that Canada broke their hockey drought. But, I mean, that was a significant drought, I can imagine, weighing on you guys thinking like, wow, we could be the ones to break this drought. (laughs) You know, we weren't focused on that. I mean, we, of course, knew the, it, the, the length of time that it was, but um, we weren't really focused on that um, as much. But, um, yeah, no, I, it's funny that you bring that up because I remember hearing about it going in. and There was so much pressure the, when we were at home training. We would go to Home Depot to pick up a, <laughs> you know, a drill or something because we were, you know, we're people and we build, not build, but we fix things in our house and we had to do certain projects around home still. So we would go to Home Depot or the grocery store and people would always say to us, you know, um, bring home that gold medal, you know, and and our faces were on the Cheerio boxes. So we really couldn't go anywhere without getting comments made and people meant well, but it was just like, oh, you know, break a leg. I'm like, I don't want to break my leg. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to help you on the ice. Yeah, exactly. So there 
It's fascinating too, because like you sort of talking about that reaction and everything. I mean, even in Australia, like it was, it was huge, huge coverage. And you know, this for Australian, this was our first ever Olympics that we ultimately won a gold medal. We we won two, and that was a first for Australia. So we didn't really have a much of a, a history in in Winter Olympics, but it was blanket coverage in Australia. Um, you know, until. Bradbury snuck through and won the gold and kind of there was a bit of a different focus for us. But, and I mean, it must have been interesting for you to kind of hear from other countries that aren't Canada, the States, Russia, countries where figure skating is obviously one of the big sports and and you're probably getting interview requests from Australia and all these other countries where you think, wait, somebody in that country wants to talk to me about this? What's going on? Mm-hmm. Well, that's exactly what I was saying about how the Olympics um it's a way grander stage than just our own world championships. I mean, you go from competing at the worlds um, and you've got skating fans and skating um, broadcast groups and whatever that want to talk to you. But at the Olympics, it becomes a a way grander scale of of people and countries. And uh, so that is, that's what makes the Olympics um, maybe more nerve wracking for some athletes, but, super special I mean we became like I said these household names around the world we had people from like Australia and Greece and all kinds of countries that really aren't into winter sports or even figure skating that were supporting us it was so cool I I will admit and this is just going back I was saying about how I was caught up in it I I wrote to you guys after Salt Lake and I I request and you sent me you guys sent a signed photo it was on my wall in my bedroom for for years I've still got it somewhere so I was I've got somewhere at home in my uh grandpa uh, my grandpa's god he's gonna hate me for saying it my father's uh Oh, why am I calling you my grandpa? What's going on there? Um, I've got a, a book filled with all newspaper articles from Salt Lake and all the coverage that would have been in Australian newspapers. So, yeah, no, I, I was absolutely entranced by it, Jamie. Uh, cool. That's awesome. It's a, it's a, it's a really it's a neat uh, experience for athletes because um, I remember when David and I went back to the village late at night because we went to Canada House after. And when we walked into Canada House, everybody started singing Oh Canada, which was really special. But then we went back to the village. It was probably, you know, midnight, one in the morning. I can't even remember how late it was. And we were so hungry. So we went where the athletes eat, the cafeteria, and it's massive. And I remember sitting there and there were these two bobsledders sitting there eating. I don't know, they eat all the time, I guess. <laughs> um, but they literally looked at us, they're like, we just watched you on that big screen and they're like, you guys were robbed tonight. And, and it was just like, that's when we realized that the world, I mean, the world had just watched that. And, and um, I mean, you know that, but you don't really understand the actual impact or the, how it's like so amplified. And it was such a, like, it was such a big deal, right? What had just happened. Cause if you're sitting there watching and, and everybody's going, I don't, I'm not a figure skating fan, but something, that's not right. You know, and that's what we were hearing was this two bobsledders are going, uh-uh. <laughs> and they were, I think they were from Germany or something. I was like, going to say they weren't Jamaican bobsledders, whether that would have been an even cooler <laughs> no, experience. No, but it was really cool to have, uh, to hear from so many different people and different, you know, athletes and just different people. It was, it was really cool. And, you know, having success in one sport, you know, uh, especially after a drought, like Ben was talking about, will obviously lead to new interests. You know, there's, 
no doubt going to be huge tennis interest because of Milos Ronic now and everything. And then uh, guessing same thing with sprinting and Andre de Grasse and whether it was just through the media coverage or not. I mean, I have to imagine that a lot of these skaters now like more in virtue and Caitlin Osman. I mean, have you heard of about any of them saying, I remember this and this is what got me into figure skating. Um, not necessarily. I, I, I've actually heard the opposite. Not from the athletes, but from the fans. Like more people were feeling like um, they felt like, why would I watch figure skating? It's so it's fixed, you know, and and it's proven over time over time after time. And our scandal was just magnified because it was in the U.S. But this isn't the first time this has happened. So I, I felt like a lot of people were kept saying to me for years after, and even still now, like skating's not the same. And I, I feel sad for that because I know that the young skaters coming up were doing, are doing it for the same reason I started. Um, and they love the sport. And I feel like, in, like I said to you in the beginning, in many ways, the sport's even better because now the elements are quantified and it's, the bias is less to happen, right? Because of the way that it's, it's, the system doesn't allow for that as much. So, I mean, there's no perfect... There's no flawless program, uh, you know, way to judge. But um, I think there's a lot of young skaters that uh, watch that. Like, I, I, I do know when we toured, we had moms that would say, I named my daughter after you, Jamie, or uh, stuff like that. And then young skaters aspired to, to be, because that's how I started. I started 88 Olympics. I was like, I want to be like Elizabeth Manley, and I'm, I'm going to go there. I'm going to do what she's doing. And so, of course, there were young skaters that uh, were watching us and going like, Mom, that's where I want to go. I want to be like Jamie or David. And... And, um, we, you know, we know that the, that, that is, uh, that happens, but, um, no, we haven't actually had a skater say to us, well, we're skating because of you. <laughs> I we'll get them on the show. We'll ask them <laughs> specifically leading you questions. Got a, you got a skeleton racer at least got into the Olympics. Yeah, think, exactly. I think the difference guys is that I, when I, we, we retired from professional skating, I left figure skating. Like I, I'm now, um, you know, a motivational coach and a mom and, I have so many other things going on that I'm not involved in skating. So um, if I was still coaching skating or I was involved somehow within the skating community, then um, I would probably get a lot more of that. But I think that's probably why I don't. <laughs> how, during everything that happened, I mean, how, how were the Russian pair? Like, I mean, did they talk to you? Kind of what was their viewpoint? And also the, the French judge involved. Did you ever get a chance to kind of have a one-on-one -on -one no. and have a chat with her? No. Are you kidding? No, they would never <laughs> let any anyone around her um uh, after the after the whole thing came out she was pretty protected but i think um you know elena and anton um were not very happy at the olympics they they were quoted you know saying that we were being whiners and complainers and we need to be quiet and and which was shocking for us because we knew them i mean we weren't like best friends or anything but we were always very cordial with them and we respected them and we appreciated their, their talent and like we looked up to them and uh in many ways and then so to hear them speaking that way was was a little bit um i was hurtful um and shocking but then um we signed that four-year deal with stars on ice and they were there with us and so we ended up having like honestly we we really enjoyed touring with them and um got to know them more personally because we'd only known them as skaters. And so we got to know them a little bit more, not one conversation about the Olympics came up, not one. Wow. Like we don't talk about it. Elephant in the um, room. <laughs> elephant in the room. But you know what? It, it kind of went away quickly because uh, just we, we were embracing the fact that we were sharing the ice together and we were grateful that we were on tour together and making a great living and, 
yeah, I was just focusing on all the good. You know, before I forget, I have to ask you a little bit about Battle of the Blades, which uh, uh, I don't think anybody outside of Canada uh, necessarily has seen this or probably not many. But I mean, this was pretty big deal here in Canada for a couple of seasons. Uh, and you were it's essentially the ice skating version of Dancing with the Stars here in Canada, but not so much just random celebrities like let's pair hockey players, yeah. with figure skaters. And, you know, I, I do find it interesting just to see that, you know, you you had an oiler as a partner on the first season and flames as a partner on the second season. Yeah. I do remember seeing your first season, you know, because who doesn't want to watch Ty Domi figure skate, but uh, you know, obviously <laughs> you're bound to have some great stories about, you know, uh, the, the learning curve of uh, particularly, I guess your first partner, um, I'm guessing Craig Simpson, you know, it, having to teach him how to do this. You know, how does that all work with teaching hockey players how to skate? Oh my gosh, it was so much fun. It, we, we laughed so hard. And I mean, God bless those guys because they took some really terrible falls, you know, and, and we just got to sit back and kind of go, oh, you know, cover our mouths and we'd be laughing. But they they handled it like champs, all of them. Um, you know, Ty, Ty was funny because he, he, he was like, I'm not wearing figure skates. He didn't tell me to do that. And that was actually too bad because it was really part of the show was to getting getting them into figure skates. They're all great hockey players, but like put these figure skates on, you're going to learn how to be a pair skater. And uh, as everybody knows in Canada, the, the most watched sport is hockey and figure skating is up there. So we thought the producers thought it was a great concept. Um, and most of them really embraced it. Like they were like, they wanted to be really good at it. So it was a lot of fun. Everybody took it very serious and uh, I know Craig took it to a whole nother level he was like you know with back injury and all I, I, I thought at one point it was you know two or three weeks in he could barely even walk some days I just thought like how is he doing this I it's like he's superhuman because when our backs were sore like we can't even get out of bed and yet he showed up for the last show we we knew he had such bad back spasms and could barely um, function I had a doctor ready to, to give him a cortisone shot, but he didn't take it. And he just went out and skated. And I said, listen, dude, like you're lifting me over your head. You're not just going out for a shift, you know, with a stick <laughs> in your hand. Like I go, this is different. And I don't need you dropping me. And you don't need that either on national television and even just period. Right. So, but he's like, no, I'm good. I'm going to, and I don't, I just still don't today. Don't know how he, he did it, but. Um, and one. And one, and and he didn't even just do it. He skated amazingly, like he he nailed it. And uh, I think just seeing adrenaline, and he's just used to that kind of. He's got an incredible, powerful mind, and he put himself in that uh, that mindset of like it's it's go time, it's game time, and and he did it. Yeah, it was cool. And my second year was a, a different experience. Um, I chose Theo because. Um, we're, we're given opportunities, we, you know, we're, we're given like, hey, we've got this guy and this guy to skate with. Um, who do you think? And sometimes, I mean, that was my luxury of like, do you want Lanny McDonald or do you want Craig Simpson? And I remember Lanny ended up hurting himself. So I, I was with Craig um, at that point anyway. But um, it was like, do you want to be apple pie with Lanny or do you want to be competitive with Craig? And I thought, oh, I'm a Flames fan, but I'm, I'm competitive. So it was a hard one. So then the second year, um, I wanted a powerhouse. I'm like, I wanted somebody that was going to, so Theo Fleury came up as an option and I thought, well, that'll be something else. Like he's really popular and he's feisty and he's competitive, but, uh, unfortunately we didn't make it as far as he wanted to, or as I wanted to, but, um, it was, it was a very different experience. I'll, I'll just say that. <laughs> Another 
experience you had outside of, of that as well. I believe you were a consultant or a stunt performer on Blades of Glory on the movie. Is that, is that correct? And what was that like working on a movie like that? Well, okay, that was another cool experience, but um, everybody assumes because we, we were a little, um, we, we played a role in this movie. We were the competitors to the pair team and um, Will Ferrell and his partner in the, in the movie, but we never got to meet anybody. Like, oh, really? No, we were on tour, all of us pairs on tour. There was four of us and they said, can we borrow your pair teams? We want, we need some um, background skaters, you know, they're competitors. We want to show them making mistakes. And we're like, making mistakes? Like, we're <laughs> pros. So we ended up going out there and all it was really about is like, just fall over the ice and, and, and just do an element and fall out of it or miss it or whatever. And so, and then Jamie, look mad at your partner. So I like roll my eyes and I mean, it was just ridiculous, but yeah, we, everybody assumes that we got to meet, meet all the actors and everything, but no, we did not but we do get royalties. Oh, that's, well, that's a positive. Yeah. There you go. Thanks Will just Ferrell. Uh, thanks for that. Yeah, the, the other exactly. one, I mean, on movies, like obviously you, you talked about being kind of front and center for, for Tonya and, and Nancy back in Lillehammer and they've obviously had I, I Tonya big success, you know, Oscar for Alison Jenny, Margot Robbie, of course, Oscar nominated. Will we ever see a, an I, Jamie, David at one point, you know, a movie based on uh, the 2002 figure skating scandal? I don't think so. Um, that's not my plan or David's plan. I do know that uh, we just filmed, we had a, a big documentary this winter. Um, there's a, a six series document of documentaries that are coming out on sports scandals. And so ours is one of them. And I believe it was supposed to come out this summer, but because of COVID, we're going to be, I think it's coming out in the fall now. Um, and I will definitely post that on all my social media pages when it's coming out, but that'll be something else. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that's put together because they did interview us and they interviewed Elena and, her co- and their coach. Um, and they've interviewed some other people that were a part of it. And, and were The French judge, and- did they find her? <laughs> Oh, I don't think so. No. She's gone into long lockdown, which, I mean, it's, it's yeah. this kind of goes back to what we said at the very beginning, Jamie. It said, I mean, nearly 20 years later, and this is still obviously being talked about. Is it something like you, you talk so positively about embracing it, kind of, you know, obviously you come out of it with an Olympic gold medal, you know, the pinnacle of sport, but are there some times where you kind of just like, okay, give it a rest, guys. It's been 20 years. Like, you know, we won a gold medal. We get it. The controversy, like, give it a rest. No, um, we feel honored and grateful that people still um, not only remember it, but want to talk about it. It's, it's, it's a special, special time in our lives that obviously we'll never forget. And it's um, ingrained in, in our hearts and our soul. And um, the fact that, you know, people still enjoy talking about it and want to share stories with the rest of the world still, it's, it's an honor. Are you kidding me? It's, um, I mean, lots of Olympians are forgotten about <laughs> You know, and they've done amazing things in their life. And, and uh, so it's it's very special for us. One thing that we like to do on the show kind of as a closing point, um, on the Team Canada Olympic website in the lead up to Rio, and I believe they did it in Pyeongchang as well, they did a questionnaire with several athletes. Uh, it was called, oh. Hello, My Name Is, and kind of you got to know the, the Olympian a little bit better. Now, uh, we like to ask some of these questions because they're a bit of fun. It's sort of some Olympic-related, a lot more a kind of, you know, a bit of fun quirky questions so uh i've got these in front of me to ask you and i don't know if colin's got them too that he can kind of alter no. he's, he's he's not prepared it's all good i've done the research it's, 
I'm clearly the one getting paid more today on the royalties. But uh, I'll start off, Jamie, and ask the question uh, to you. Who is the greatest Olympian of all time? Oh, come on. You've given me time to think about this one. <laughs> Olympian of all time. Ooh, there's too many. You can come um, back if you want. Yeah, let's come back to we'll that come one. back to it. Okay, remember that, Colin, you can note that one down. What was the, the first, I mean, you talked about sort of uh, watching the, the Calgary Olympics, but what was the first Olympics you remember actually watching? Was it Calgary? Yeah, it would have been the Calgary 88 Olympics. Um, I was 11 years old and I was just like enthralled with watching it. I was so like counting all the medals that Canada was getting and I was tuned in every night and it was cool because it was in Canada. So it was um, at a good time for us. It wasn't <laughs> five in the morning or late, late at night. So yeah, Calgary, 88. Were you there still? Were you still in Alberta? Did you go to any events? Yeah. No, I didn't go to any of the games. No. Um, it was very expensive. I remember my mom and, and, and uh, my family just talking about how expensive it was, but it was cool to watch it. It felt like it was in your backyard. For sure. Uh, if you could be any superhero, who would you be? Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. Yes, I could see you playing Wonder Woman. Actually, uh, you know, Colin and I, Colin and I do a, a movie podcast, and uh, I don't know. I think I think that like it would work. Like, it, I mean, you can't really do that in figure skating, sort of dress up. But like, I mean, I guess in those sort of uh, professional circuit when there's maybe a little bit more leeway, did you ever sort of you know think we could do a super? Pull out a sword. You? Yeah, pull out yeah. a sword. The whip. <laughs> No, I just think, uh, I mean, I don't know. I've been asked even about superpowers and I'm like, oh, my superpower. I don't, um, I don't know. It's, uh, there's so many, I have so many answers and I like, I, I've never, but I just right away go to super, um, to, to, uh, Wonder Woman. Like, I don't know. I just, uh, that's my answer and I'm sticking to it. Good. I like that. Uh, what is your favorite yeah. ice cream flavor? Oh, I don't, oh, I don't eat ice cream anymore, um, but, whew. oh my gosh, I feel like I'm using up so much airtime here. Um, yeah, it's fine. It's better, than, better you do it than we do, so that's all good. I know. I, I have to say, I, it's boring, but I do love, like, a really good French vanilla. Mm. I See, I, I have... Like when people answer vanilla, I I personally love vanilla too. So I think vanilla is a great choice, and it gets a bad rap. Vanilla as being too boring. So you put lots of toppings on it if you want, right? But um, yeah. when I was a kid, balsam was my favorite. Ah, nice. All right. Uh, if you were a baseball player, what would your walk-up music be? <laughs> you kind of had music in figure skating, but it's not quite like a baseball sort of thing, is it? No, and um, oh my gosh! Like, does somebody? Do people normally give you quick answers? Because I there's so much music. I mean, I would be listening to um, another one. Bites the dust. I don't a queen. <laughs> like, right? But that's to put your other competitors right. You're hoping like they're fallen. Right. So you're like, ha ha! Another one bites the dust. Bites the dust. Tick it off yeah. like that. How s- another one. Here another one. Now watch me. <laughs> me. Yeah. How sick of. Love story did you get after hearing that probably on repeat for about however many years it was? Well, and the sec- that was the second time that we had, like, second year that we um, had competed it because um, the first year we started skating together in 98 and um, it was 2000 and 2001, I believe. Nope. 
2000 that we created that program. So we competed with it all year. And then the next year we had a whole different program, but we brought it back for the Olympics. So I wouldn't say I was sick of it. Um, it was a beautiful, uh, they, the way that they um, cut it to make us, uh, to help us tell a story on the ice was really, really cool. But um, no, I, I can't say I was sick of it, but I was definitely ready to retire it. <laughs> for sure. I can imagine. Um, what is the best nickname that you've ever been called? Best. Mm. Best. Uh, Kurt Browning always called me Pug. I don't know. He said, said I had a pug nose. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about best, but um, everyone calls me James. Okay. Wow. That's that's a bit harsh. We had that the other week with um, know, right? yeah, yeah, Brendan Rodney you know, and Bucky because of the teeth. I'm like, well, I mean, these are ones that you adopt because you you. That, I would kind of forget about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My wife, uh, my wife's name is Jamie, and she has the exact same nickname as James. Yeah, yeah. fun, perfect, it's cute. It's now caring. we touched on this about you know potential of there being a movie made about what happened in two thousand and two. But this question is in a movie about your life, who would play you? So let's pretend there's I, Jamie, I, David. Who's who's playing Jamie Sale? Ooh. Oh my gosh. Now you're asking me to name actors and actresses. I I'm so bad with names. Um, I don't know. Could Sandra Bullock play me? I could see that. I was going to say Colin. I was past you as a casting director, but I mean, Sandra Bullock's a good choice. I was going to say Gal Gadot who plays Wonder Woman. Okay. Yep. Her. yep. <laughs> <laughs> they can both kind of blend in. I didn't think of like even a, a fiery sort of actress. Um, I don't know. I, it's funny. I, I came up with Sandra Bullock because she, I was in a taxi in Toronto once and the taxi driver asked if I was her. I'm like, wow, thank you. Um, Did you say, surely you said yes. Like, yes, do I get a free ride? <laughs> Absolutely. She's only five foot seven or something and I'm five <laughs> one. Um, Who would play David? There's a tricky question for you. Oh, man. Okay, this is where I'm, I'm, I suck. I'm not good at naming people, actors and actresses, because I'm, I'm really bad at remembering names. And, um, but um, I want to say Ryan something. Ryan. Um, One of the Ryans. Me. Reynolds. Reynolds or Gosling. Gosling. Okay. Right. I don't know. Um, You'd have Ryan to work Reynolds. on his facial expressions. David's a little you? bit more expressive. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, Brad Pitt. <laughs> sure. I like these actors. I want to see them on skates. I see where you're going Sandra here with Bullock, this, Brad Pitt on skates. Yep, yep, that, that Ryan O'Neill and Ali McGraw. There. They can- <laughs> <laughs> They're used to the song? Yeah. We played them, actually. Fantastic. Uh, if yeah. you weren't an athlete, what would you be? It wasn't an option. Um, never. I never even thought about it. I, I get asked that in schools. Um, what would you have done if you didn't figure skate? And I said, all I wanted to do was figure skate, you know, from a, that age of seven when I decided for it. But then it was about 10 years old. I was like, I really want to 11 when I watched the Olympics. I'm like, I'm going there. So I never, I never thought about it. Um, but I know that if, you know, looking back, obviously, if I didn't have that opportunity, I would have gone into something like design, like my mom, interior decorating. And I, I enjoy that very much. But um, obviously, um, my career has led me into what I'm doing now, which is, is life coaching. So I'm definitely in my element. We're definitely going to find out about that before we let you go. Um, I've, got my, I've got my athlete. 
You've got your athlete. Oh, okay. go for it. Someone that keep pop into my mind because he's got a million, a million gold medals and, and medals. Period is is Michael Phelps. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't think of someone that has as many medals as he does. No, mm-hmm. right? more than most countries. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. So, and I know he's not Canadian, but he's pretty spectacular. <laughs> yeah. It's actually, they they did a thing, I think, after Rio where they basically showed the all-time medal count of all the countries ever and he was legitimately ahead of like 40 countries or something like that. Talented. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Best athlete. Michael Phelps. I like it. Um, What is your guilty pleasure snack? Chocolate. Chocolate. Any particular type? Chips. I I, I do love um, Miss Vicky's. Um, salt and vinegar, um, even like the barbecue flavored chips. And I do just like, um, oh, I don't know, any chocolate bar. <laughs> you know, I, I just have to say it's sounding more and more like somebody who's been intermittent fasting. Uh, <laughs> my, my stomach is growling right now. Like, it's like in the interview, I want to eat lunch. There's chocolate sitting there. Now, I don't. Yeah. I don't like this question because you talk about kind of putting you on the spot and having to think about it. This one is definitely a question that I think you need to think about. It's what is my favourite song lyric? So I'm going to change that to favourite song in general. I feel that's a little bit easier than song lyric. Can I I look one up? Go for it. (laughs) Absolutely. We we like the research and the commitment. I'm a big pink fan big pink fan i just i love what she stands for and she's just a powerhouse she's she i i really idolize her because she's um i struggle with um you know what people think of me and just insecurity of like what people how people are perceiving me and judging me and she's just like i am who i am and if you don't like it then that's your problem um and i really admire that and she's just a very kind giving person um as much as she's so raw and like like really raw um she's a beautiful human so anything pink for me is i would pick anything from her she Um, could play you in a movie she's done some acting there you go (laughs) yeah i would pick her in a heartbeat are you kidding me she could do the soundtrack and everything like you know there'd be some sort of like so i'm jamie i'm still a skater like something like that like yes there you go. It would, it would, it would go to number one. It would rock it up. Yeah, and and David too. Like I mean, he'd be there in the background. You know, great. Right? There you yeah. go. You're welcome, Hollywood. You can have that idea yeah. for free. Uh, what is the most recent TV show that you binge watched? Uh, TV show. Hmm. Uh, my daughter, who just turned seven yesterday, is into Modern Family. Ah. I watched it for a long time, but she, we've literally been watching it like episode after episode. Great. There you go. What was your favorite place in the world to compete in? Japan. Japan. Um, in 13 times, and it's just such a beautiful culture, country. The food is good. Like, the, the crowds were always so kind and, like, polite. And, yeah. I mean, of course, I love competing in Canada. That's a no-brainer. But um, outside of Canada, I would say Japan. We, uh, how many times did you compete in Winnipeg and what was it like competing in uh, beautiful <laughs> Winnipeg? Uh, Winnipeg. Oh, I can't say I actually competed in Winnipeg, but we toured there every year. Right. Yeah. Winnipeg is probably one of our better crowds, actually, in Canada. You're yeah. welcome. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> did you. Did the shows ever come to Victoria and BC? Yep. 
Um, we were in Vancouver and Victoria every year. Great. Okay. There you go. I'm, I'm still I'm new to Victoria, so I'm learning kind of that things actually happen here. So there you go. Well, I'm not there anymore, Ben. So oh, different now. Yeah? Come on, Jamie. This city needs to get better. You need to come back. Uh, what's your favorite video game? I don't know how much video games you play, but uh, do you have a favorite? Uh, okay. So when I was younger, I would say Pac-Man. And then, um, and then it became a Super Mario with Nintendo. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, what is uh, your biggest fear in life? Deep question. I think everybody's biggest fear is failing mm-hmm. at something. Um, and that's what holds a lot of us back. It, it even, it talks to me still now, right? That, that fear always is talking to me, like how nobody's going to care what I have to say and you're not good enough and they're not going to like you. And so that's just fear. I, I, I think my fear is just failing, but I, I learned to talk to it. <laughs> that's good. That's that's great. And yep. what is the one yep. thing that you can't live without? Love. Oh, that's a good Just answer. Just simple. Love. All you need is love, I right? Food. I can live with all kinds of material things. Can't live without love. Perfect answer. I love that. Jamie, before we let you go, uh, I mean, you touched on before what you're doing now and please plug away your, your website, your social media and, and what you're doing because you said you're a life coach now. So you're obviously kind of out there doing that sort of stuff. So does that involve a lot of touring? Like do people sign up to programs kind of like what specifically is it that you kind of provide with those services? Yeah. So um, I do have a website, jamiesolet.com, and I have a little bit of information there, but it's really, um, I've, I've done workshops in the past. Um, I'm doing some executive coaching with a group in out of Calgary called Envision Group. So obviously through COVID, we've been doing virtual workshops. Um, I've done a lot of speaking engagements, um, and then people are reaching out to me just simply to help them with, because what I do with coaching um with uh, not the executive stuff, but my individual coaching is helping people create visions and, and really um, creating a life that they would love living. And I know that sounds simple, but for a lot of people, that's that's not an easy thing to do. So um, I know a little bit about failure and I know a little bit about success. So I think uh, my clients really love working with me because I'm very vulnerable and relatable. And uh, I share a lot of my life stories with them. And um, in that process, we help them in my 12 week program or the 24 week program that I have, I help them um, create, you know, a life for them that they would love, love living. Powerful. It's so much fun. And um, honestly, like it's, I know that I I love what I'm doing and I know that I'm doing the right thing because every time I'm on a call or I'm doing a a workshop or anything, I'm just incredibly lit up. I'm, I'm so, I feel so empowered. I feel like, I feel like Wonder Woman. (laughs) That's why, that's why you would be perfect Wonder Woman. There you go. So great to hear that. And it's so, I mean, reading through a lot of your website and kind of looking at your social media and all that sort of stuff, it it certainly seems like something you're you're very passionate about and enjoying and kind of, you know, to to find that passion sort of outside of having such a long passion, no doubt in your, in your athletic career to kind of have that too, Um, you know, and alongside obviously having stuff started a family and kind of all that sort of stuff as well. I mean, it's it's great to see and kind of goes back to what I was saying before about, you know, a lot of us don't really follow athletes outside of their retirement, but uh, it's it's good to see when athletes are successful out of their athletic career as they were in it. Oh, thank you so much, Ben. Thanks, Colin. That was a, a pleasure to speak to both of you today. I appreciate uh, being on your show and uh, thank you so much for this opportunity. 
And an absolute thrill to talk to Jamie there. Really, really a big, big thrill and definitely uh, one of our biggest guests we've ever had on this show. A fantastic honour to be able to speak with her, to learn a little bit more about her and, of course, everything that happened in 2002. And just a fun chat there. An absolute pleasure to chat with her and we definitely thank her for her time on the show today. We have another interview for you next week coming your way. Another Olympic gold medalist as we switch our focus back to the Australian side of things, keeping this sort of a balance between the Aussies and the Canadians. Charlotte Caslick is her name. She was a member of the gold medal winning team from the Rio 2016 Games in Rugby Sevens. And it's a fun chat. You will learn a lot about how she got into Rugby Sevens, a unique way she got into Rugby Sevens, and how things are going for her right now in lockdown land. The delay of the Olympics, of course, and waiting it out to see if they can go back-to-back in Rio 2016. So that is next week. Charlotte Catholic, stay tuned for that one. In the meantime, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and remember to subscribe to the podcast on a good podcast service so you don't miss any of these episodes delivered directly to your speakers. Thanks for tuning in to Off the Podium. We will speak to you next time. Good night. Japanese, I think I'm turning Japanese, I really think so. Turning Japanese, I think I'm turning Japanese, I really think so.